All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, listen, if you're just now uh, connecting on stream and you're just watching the message, I would tell you, please go back and catch the worship. Uh, you're missing, you're missing something very powerful and important in your life is all you do is kind of wait or go forward, fast through, and just wait, get to the teaching time. I mean, part of this experience is really just kind of inviting yourself to bring the presence of God. So I want to encourage you to do that. Now, if you have your Bibles, you have your device, I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 6 or click over whatever you're doing and find Genesis chapter 6. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to start with a little fun. I want you to circle up the family, you know. We're going to have a little educational fun experience, and we're going to have a little true-false quiz. Yes, children, uh, you just thought school was out. It is not. Maybe you want, if you're by yourself, you can kind of participate online. It's going to be simple, true-false. That's all it is, true-false. A few questions here. Uh, no betting, okay? No wedge wagering. Uh, no uh, challenging whatever the judge, that's me, gives us the, the right answer to this whole thing. Uh, just a little lighthearted fun, and uh, maybe have, you know, a little, little competition there in your household. Very simple, true, false. And then here's the first question. We're going to jump right into it. We'll put it on the screen. Here is the first question, true or false. Uh, we are living in the most desperate, evil era in human history. Here you go. What do you think? Right now, today, the most desperate, evil time in the whole history. What do you think? All right, got your answer. Or right, here it is. False by a long shot. <laughs> it's not even close. I mean, right here in the Scripture, it tells us very clear about it. Over here in uh, Genesis 6, verse 5, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart, here it comes, was only evil all the time. I mean, my gosh, I mean, I, I, all the time. Here's, humor me for a second, just for a second, humor me. I want you to think a good thought about somebody in the room with you right now, okay? And if they're not in the room with you, think a good thought about your mother or your dad or your kid, okay? Got it? No bad thoughts, no evil thoughts, just a kind thought. Grab it. See, that is proof that you and I are only evil some of the time, not all of the time. But back in the day, it says right here in the Word, the human heart was only evil all of the time. In fact, so evil was it. Uh, that God was so kind of kind of taken back by the human experiment, God said, I'm going to start all over, and the earth is just kind of overwhelmed by this great thing called the flood. Now, the remainder of these questions, or these little statements, true, false, uh, you're probably going to know the answer to because of Sunday school or some bad Hollywood movie uh, that you watched, okay? So, but here's number two. Number two, true or false? God decided to save uh, one guy named Noah from the total destruction of the flood. Got it? One guy, only one guy was on the ark saved from the flood. True or false? And the answer is, it's false, right? I mean, you know. Yeah, you should know that, that God chose to save eight people uh, from the, the, the flood. There was Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives. Now, there was a reason uh, that these other seven got a boat ride during this flood. Over here in chapter 6 and verse 9, it says this in the second part, Noah was a righteous man 
He was blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. In my Bible, I have underlined righteous. He was blameless and walked faithfully with God. Now, this is no, no point here, but this question, uh, true or false, is it, uh, you can play, but you don't have to. True or false, uh, <laughs> your family frequently describes you that way, that you are righteous, you are blameless, uh, you walk faithfully with God. Yeah, interesting question. But here's question number three. True or false, uh, question number three, Noah spent 120 years building the ark. 120 years, true or false? It's false because we don't know for sure. It's speculated that Noah started building the ark around age 480, and the scripture tells us right here in verse 6 of chapter 7 that he was about 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, but we don't know exactly 120 years, and it doesn't say that he worked 40 hours a week and took three weeks paid vacation, right? I mean, maybe he did it in 50 or 60 years, and the rest of the time he practiced on his golf game till he got back on dry land. The text doesn't tell us, but the question, the point is, what do you do when the text is not exactly clear? Uh, do you speculate? Or do you make stuff up, right? So letter A, here's a little side note to you. Do you make stuff up, right, if you don't know if the text is clear? Or do you say, well, you know what? I don't know. We'll just kind of wait and see the answer on the other side. Which one is it? It's B. We don't make stuff up about what's in the Bible. Now, we're going to learn a little bit later about why it is so important that when something's not in the Bible that we don't make stuff up. Okay, here's question number four or statement number four, true or false. We know the exact dimensions of the ark. We know the exact dimensions of the ark. Now, this is a little tricky. You ready? It's half true. Now, any good student knows if it's half true, that means that it's false. Because we have some instructions about it over here in chapter 6 in verses uh, 12, 13, and 14, and 15. But God designs the ark by the measure of cubits. And a cubit varied measurement from culture to culture. A cubit was the fingertip from the elbow of a man. Now, in the Egyptian culture, the approximate uh, average fingertip was 20.6 inches. For a Hebrew man, it was a little over 17 and a half. So, depending on which culture you're using as far as a cubit, uh, the, it was as little as 480 foot long or as long as uh, 520 feet. We don't exactly know. So, uh, you thought you were going to watch worship this morning. You got the History Channel, right? I mean, the amazing things we do here in your church. Here's number five. Uh, moving quickly, Noah and his family were ridiculed relentlessly while they built the ark because there was no water in sight and it took so long to build. All right. They were mocked, ridiculed relentlessly. Took a long time, no water. True or false? Now, when I was a kid, I remember going to Sunday school, and my teacher telling us, man, you've got to revere and respect Noah. Uh, because, man, he was continually mocked and ridiculed nonstop for 120 years. 
So I remember as a kid how much I looked up to Noah. I admired Noah, and I wanted his courage for when he was criticized so much. And uh, I would go to school hoping I would be mocked on Monday for going to church on Sunday when I was a little kid, you know, that I'd be on the playground and they would mock me and bully me and beat me to a pulp, right, just because I went to church so I could be like Noah doing what God wanted me to do regardless. But there's no mention of that at all in the text. Uh, there's not even a whiff. Uh, there's not even a hint that maybe that might have happened. Now, like you, I can see where a neighbor might have gone, man, that guy's got a screw loose, right? I mean, building this ark way out in the middle of nowhere, expecting there's going to be uncharted water pop up out of nowhere. But it didn't happen. And church, when something is not in the text, uh, we just can't add it and make it up. We've got to say, you know what? I have a strong opinion about this, but I'm going to choke back my opinion. And I'm going to let the text be the text. That's just what we got to do. Now, here we go. Number six, sixth question, sixth statement, true or false. Noah had a heart attack trying to round up all of the animals and herd them onto the ark. True or false? What do you think? Almost had a heart attack. I mean, almost killed him. Animals everywhere, right? What do you think? <laughs> I think you probably know the answer to this, but yet, uh, be, think about trying to herd cats on the ark. Between you and me, I don't think the cats made it on the ark, right? But, 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 but it probably, probably did, but, but herding snakes and hippopotamus and bald eagles, just to imagine how crazy that would be. I mean, pretty difficult, but look what the scriptures say right here. The Bible tells us, we don't have to guess, it tells us, and Noah and his sons and his wife, and his, verse 7, and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood, chapter 7 and verse 8. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds, and of all creatures that moved along the ground, male and female, here it comes, came to Noah, and they entered into the ark. So according to the text, uh, Noah and his family, they walk up the gangway, and God directed this orderly procession where the animals just two by two got onto the ark. Now I will say, it takes an act of faith. <laughs> to believe that it happened that way. Uh, soon you heard me talk about this schnauzer we had named Hatcher. I mean, I called that guy's name for 12 years, and he never came to me. So it's kind of hard to believe, right, that all these animals just came to Noah. But that's what the Scripture says, and that's kind of what we have to go with here. Now, we got another question here, number seven. Uh, number seven, here's true or false, how you, how you doing your score? Kids against the adults or spouse or wife, whatever you're doing there. Uh, Noah, here's number seven. Noah got into a terrible fight with his wife about whose job it was to close the door of the ark, all right? So Noah and his wife, little tension, taking a long time to build that sucker. <laughs> yeah, you know the answer to that. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible where that happens, right? I mean, I can imagine it happened. Hey, uh, wife, I, I, it took me 128, 20 years. The least thing that you can do is close the door. I mean, I've been doing all the work all this time. But the scripture doesn't tell us that. Here, here's what it tells us down in verse 16. It says, The animals went in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then it says, The Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door. Uh, we don't know 
uh, how big the door was, how wide the door was, how tall the wide door. But we know that somehow God shut the door and put them in. Now, here we go. Three more questions. That's all rapid fire. Boom, boom, boom. Bonus round. You name the points in your family, your household, however you want to. Three questions back to back to back to back. Here they are. Number eight. Noah and his family uh, sat on the ark for a full week before it started to rain. True or false? Number nine, rained 40 days and 40 nights. Number 10, all total, Noah and his crew were on the ark for 378 days. They're all true. And how do we know they're true? They're right here in the Bible. You can read it. That's exactly what it says right here in this text. Okay, now that's the end of our true-false times. You can kind of compare your answers and find who's going to wash dishes after a while, win or lose. I'll, I'll let you mess with that. But I know right now some of you students, yeah, thank, 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 thank you, man. Appreciate your help right there. Here we go. I, I know some of you, I'm reading you through the camera. Some of your students are going, Pastor, we're out of school. Uh, we didn't have to take any final exams. And how you, I, sorry about that. And some of you parents are going, Man, would you just please stop this true-false thing and get on with a little bit of teaching time? So that's what I'm going to do because I know some of you are kind of bothered right now. You need to let your brain cool off. Uh, you didn't come here to worship this morning to have a true-false test. Uh, you want to get back to doing what you've normally been doing since you've been worshiping from home, and that is going to the refrigerator and get a snack or put us on pause and go to the restroom, right? Or you want to check out how things are going on the draft or, or what gets, what's trending on Netflix or whatever like that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go back to doing what you normally would do that you don't think I know that you're doing, right? And uh, I'm going to teach, because I love you, I'm going to teach a little bit, just a little bit, and let you kind of get back to your thing as normal. Now, the question I want to ask here as we kind of go forward in here in this story is, after uh, Noah landed the ark, and after they unloaded all the animals, what do you think, guess, guess what you think happens next? Guess, just guess. But here's the thing, uh, we don't have to guess, because the Bible tells us exactly what happens. Right here in chapter 8 of verse 20, then after they landed, Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it, and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, and so, so, so verse 20, the Lord built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar. Now, I love this because this reveals the heart of Noah. When they got through this uncharted water, this terrible storm, the first thing that he did is that he didn't get down on his hands and knees and kiss the ground, right? He didn't pick up an animal and slam dunk it. Uh, he didn't take a selfie and post it all over social media. Yay, look what we did. We finally made it. We endured. He didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, the very first thing he did was he worshiped. He made a sacrificial, or he built an offer and made a sacrificial offering to the Lord. Uh, here's what this is teaching us. First things matter to God. Uh, that, that's why every paycheck, I don't care how, si how small, how big, every paycheck, first 10%, right, it goes to the Lord. Every morning, the first conversation I have is, God, good morning, God, the first person I want to talk to is you, God. I mean, every day, the first thing I want to do is obey God in everything I do. The first thing I want to do is stand up for God in everything that I do. I want to seek Him first. Uh, to God, you need to be mindful that first 
things matter to God. Let me ask you, uh, when this COVID-19 uncharted water thing kind of come, it's kind of winding down or things come back to some reasonable sense of normal in your life, uh, what's the first thing you're going to do? Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to go back to work in your office? Uh, what's the first thing you're going to do when your income gets back to a certain place? What's the first thing you're going to do when you can be reconnected with your friends or you can come to this place in worship? What's the first thing? First things matter to God. Seek Him first. And then the kingdom of God, all these things, will be added unto you. So, and then right here in verse 21, it says, what's what happened next? The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart, it's evil from childhood. I mean, it's evil all the time. And then never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Chapter 9, down in verse 13. He says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all of life. And whenever the rainbow appears in the cloud, I will see it. And I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Wow. Uh, you know, we find ourselves in the spring here in Texas, and that means storms that kind of pop up, and that means rainbows. I want you to take a look here at these rainbows right here. You, maybe you've seen some of these here in the past few weeks, and they're beautiful. Uh, you will never see an ugly rainbow. Everyone is unique. Everyone is beautiful. And I just want to challenge you to remind you in this COVID-19 uncharted water time that any time you see a rainbow up in the sky that reminds you of the promises of God are on the covenant. And the covenant is an unbreakable promise. And you know in the scripture there are two promises. First one is that I will love you. I will love you. I will love you. And second, I am always with you. And that God will never, ever break his promise, okay? Now, it would be great right now if this is where this little, this little, this little message ended, right? That we could just kind of wind the message up and end it. And I know many of you are saying, Pastor, anytime you end the message, it's always good for us. The shorter, the better. And I'm aware of now, you can end it anytime you want to because I can't see you uh, pushing the pause button. But don't you think we don't can't check all the metrics? said no what you're doing online and whatever uh, but it'd be cool really if this is where it all ended right and we could all sing Judy Garland somewhere over the rainbow there these uncharted waters that, that Noah found himself ended happily ever after but there's another incident uh, that happens in Noah's life and I really wish it didn't happen and I wish we could just stop right there and not finish the story of Noah. I wish we could just say, hey, listen, it all ended with rainbows and sunshine and happily ever after. But I think we all know that life doesn't always end with rainbows and sunshine and a tie neat little bow. So let's read about this next incident and see what we can always learn here about the Scripture. Look down here in verse 20, chapter 9. And Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. And when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk. He lay uncovered inside his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told two brothers outside. 
But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in back, backward and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. Now, uh, I, TMI, right? Uh, too much information. Uh, I don't need that picture in my head. Uh, I'm not going to read it again, but I want you to get the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness of this situation in your head. Then look what happens next. When Noah awoke from his wine, when he found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Verse 28 and 29. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. And I'm just betting he broke the Social Security system as it was back in those days. In fact, maybe that's why the flood happened, right? He's breaking the system, and he was going to live a, a, a long time. Some of you young people can relate to your fears about that. Now, now what's going on here? Watch that. The, this this text right here is very confusing to a lot of people. And if you're sitting here wondering, okay, I'd like to know what happened in that tent. Hey, what happened really happened in the tent? And if you're wondering, what is this curse thing all about? Uh, you're not alone. In fact, seasoned Old Testament scholars have been struggling with this text for years. So I want to say there's two things we can agree on here about this story of Noah, too. And here's the first one. Noah, Noah is the one doing the cursing. Uh, not God. When you look right here at the text, it says, when Noah awoke, verse 24, from his wine, and he found out what his youngest son, youngest son had done, he said, cursed be Canaan. He, so Noah, a private citizen, is doing the cursing. God is not doing the cursing. Now, why am I saying that? Uh, there are some people who like to take the Bible and kind of distort it. And I've heard some people saying that this COVID-19 is a curse from God for how evil the world has become. And church, I will tell you, you, can, you cannot get there from this text. God is not cursing in this text, and God's not doing the cursing, I believe, in COVID-19. That's my opinion. God's not. So, so we can agree on that God's not doing the cursing. And then the second thing I think we can agree on is that this is a confusing uh, very difficult. It's a tough text to understand. In fact, there's more questions than there are answers. And the first questions people ask, you really can't answer, really, who is the youngest son? It says right there in verse 24, when Noah awoke, he found out what his youngest son had done. And Ham was the one who went into his tent. But over here in chapter 5 of verse 32, it says that after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father. And then it lists his sons in the birth order, which is what the scripture does. It says Shem is the oldest. Then it says Ham is the middle child. And then it says Japheth. So really, who is the youngest child? Was it Ham? Was it somebody else? Was it really Japheth? And then really over here in chapter 10, we're not even going there. It confuses anymore. Really, who is the youngest? So 
Who's the youngest child? And the question would be, did Noah make a mistake, really, in his inebriated state of cursing? All right, he's still intoxicated. He meant to curse Ham, but he didn't even curse him. He cursed Canaan. Uh, did Canaan get in the way of, Je of a Mo Noah's curse? Or, or maybe did Cana Canaan do, do something? inside the tent or outside the tent that we know nothing about that causes any problem and what about the curse itself the curse itself is kind of confusing i mean really who's the curse for it says the curse of be canaan the lowest of slaves he will be to to his brothers well whose brothers his brothers somebody else's brothers noah's brothers i mean uh kim Shem. it's all so confusing and also what is the expiration date of the curse is it forever? Is it for a short period of time? So when you, when you look at a text like this, and it's kind of tough, and it's kind of confusing, overwhelming, and you can't get all the answers, what do you do? Do you, do you start to speculate? Uh, do you make stuff up? Or you kind of chill out and say, you know what? I'll just wait and ask God about it when I get on the other side. Now, why do I bring this up this morning? Because there have been some twisted scholars who have taken things in the scriptures, and sometimes we church people do this, and we twist them and manipulate them to justify something we believe that turns out to be an oppressive act upon other people. I've got a question to ask you. I wonder how many of you have ever heard of the curse of Ham? If you heard of the curse of Ham, this is in the comments section right there. Uh, you're watching, put yes, 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 just put yes. But if you've not heard about the curse of Ham, it is something else. Uh, there are whole belief systems and philosophies in this world that still exist based on this text called the curse of Ham. Don't do it right now. This is the honor system, okay? But Google after a while uh, the curse of Ham and just spend about an hour going through all the options and you're going to find more than you can do in an hour to see all the different philosophies, all the different belief systems that have been established in this world that had this world all messed up today because of what people have interpreted this very confusing text. I'm just going to give you three of them to kind of give you an idea of what some of them are. Uh, here's the first one. That the minute that, that Noah uh, cursed Canaan is that Canaan became a black man. And that when he says that all of Canaan, he'll be the lowest of slaves to his brothers, he is prophesying that all of the descendants of Canaan would be black and they would be slave to other folks in the human race. It was really a prophecy that one day there would be a human race of black people who would be subservient to people that are white. And so back in this era of Europe and America, uh, when it was legal to have slaves to sell human beings as farm animals to other human beings, there were white pastors who stood up in pulpits just like this right here, and they rationalized and justified the buying and the selling of human beings based on this text. And church, when you go read, it's called the curse of Ham in Genesis chapter 9. When you go read that like I did this past week, and I started reading those things, my blood began to boil. I thought, how could they? How could anyone interpret this text in that way? Uh, there's no place in this text about race. There's nothing in here about skin color, nothing. And yet some people uh, devise this idea and this thought system to reinforce something that they believe based on what is Scripture. 
And man, it's just a terrible use of the Word of God. So harmful to people. Use the way people use this book. Uh, here's the second one. Is that the curse of Ham, it fell on Canaan's descendants who wound up moving into the Holy Land, and they became the Palestinians. So now you have this whole people group where it is okay to oppress them. It's okay to seize their land and to occupy their territory, right, and to push them around all over the world and not even care about them because they're a parasite because of the curse of hell, because of something that happened in a tent that nobody really knows what happens. It's crazy. Yet that's what's existing in our world today. Here's a third opinion, that Ham's son Canaan, Ham's son Canaan snuck into the tent of his grandfather uh, while his grandfather was sleeping off his inebriation, and his grandfather was naked, and Ham, Canaan, performed a homosexual act upon his grandfather. And the curse of Ham now, this, this belief system says, that because of this act, this sinful act of, of Canaan against his grandfather, of male and male, that that deemed heterosexuals for the rest of time to curse anyone who was homosexual as permanently cursed because of this action, and everything else in Scripture justifies that because of this incident right here. And nobody even knows what happened in the tent. But based on speculation, people have come to these conclusions. Now, church, I'm going to deal with this a little bit more in a minute about what do you do when you come across a text, you're reading your Bible, and there's so much you don't understand. But here's the cardinal rule. Here's the cardinal rule. Don't make stuff up. Don't do it. Don't speculate. Don't pick a people group that you don't like. Don't pick a people group that are not like you. Don't pick anyone in your family. Don't justify it as a husband to be the controlling, dominant person over your family. Don't do it. Don't pick a scripture to justify your vampire emotions, right? To suck the life out of a human being and demean them as less of being made in the image of God as a child of God. And I'm telling you, this happens in the world all the time, and it's brewing again. I can sense it happen as we have all the disagreements here about what you do, the process of coming out of this COVID-19. I mean, let's just stay on the truth of what we know. What's the great commandment? Love God. Love your neighbors and love yourself. Uh, this morning, your life steps, you read 1 Corinthians 13. I hope you did. How does it end? Uh, faith, hope, and love, these three remain. But the greatest of these is Right now, more than anything, what the world needs is not our condemnation, not our judgment, not our division and separation. The world needs to know of the love of God for all human beings, even those in your household that you may be struggling to get along with right now. Okay, now here's what I want to do. Uh, I want to close this by giving you two things. And I want to give you, first of all, a, a pastoral, uh, a kind of a, a, a fatherly, a grandfatherly exhortation. And really, I'm, I guess I wouldn't call it a grandfather exhortation. I would call it a, a papa exhortation because I don't call myself grandpa or granddad. Uh, Linus calls me uh, papa. 
And just to prove to you, I am a papa. I've not showed you a picture of her in a long time, so I just got to do that, right? I mean, I, I, have, I have the camera. I can do it. And I ask him. So here's a little picture of Lennox on Easter. Uh, there she is, my little uh, two-and-a-half-year-old girl. Man, I miss her so much. I just love playing with her and being with her. And here's a picture of her on Easter Day in worship, right? I mean, she got pretty excited in Easter worship and just raising up her hands to God, even as she's reaching out, reaching out to papa. So I want to give you a papa exhortation, right? And then I'm also going to give you a pastoral um, declaration, kind of a papal thing about this scripture right here. I have not done that. It's been a long time since I've done that, and I'm going to in a second. But, but here I want to give you a, uh, a papa exhortation. Here it is. I want to talk to you for a minute about something called chair time. And if you're new to Pathway, uh, this is especially important that you dial in. And if you're new, uh, you're welcome here. If you don't believe in God, you're welcome here. If you're struggling with faith in church and you're just worshiping from a distance right now, you're taking advantage, hey, you're welcome here. But I want to talk to you about something that we call chair time. And here's the idea. I want to challenge you, if you've not yet done so, to find a chair. Uh, and it's got to be a chair that you like. And it can be anywhere. It can be a chair in your home. Uh, you get back to your office. It could be a chair in your office. It could be, it could be in your car. It could be where you're, you're sitting. Maybe you work out of your car a lot. Maybe that. But you, you find a place. You find a chair. And it's got to be a chair that you like. Uh, that's important. It can't be just something that's uncomfortable, not something you don't like. It's got to be a chair that you would really feel comfortable in. If you don't have a chair that you like, I want to encourage you to buy a chair. Uh, you can go online. You can find one somewhere. And if you can't grab the shekels up to buy it, uh, just charge it to Chris Bohan. He's loaded. <laughs> He's loaded. Just put Chris Bohan, Chris Bohan. He'll be happy to take care uh, to get you that chair. So get you a chair that you like. And after you get you a chair that you like, you put it in a place where you have a vista of view you want to look out. Now, here's the vista I've had. Your vista is not my vista. Uh, here's the vista I've had the past few weeks, and I can't tell you on the other end of that, I had to cut it kind of down because that's my wife, right? Because in my quiet time, my wife sits on the opposite side of me, and she would kill me if I showed her face and hair at this time early in the morning, at 5 o'clock in the morning. But but choose a vista. Choose a place that if you if you just sat there and didn't even have a quiet time, that you would enjoy, you would enjoy being there. Uh, maybe it's be a view of the outdoors. Maybe it's a picture of your kids. Maybe it's a picture on the wall of your grandkids, whatever. Maybe it's a scripture, which I got. Be still to know that I am God. But find a vista. Uh, third thing you do is you get you a Bible. And I'm not talking about a Bible that goes on a coffee table. I'm not talking about an heirloom Bible. I want you to get a Bible you can mark in, a Bible you can underline and write and put exclamation points in and do all sorts of stuff with it. You know, that, that's what I want you to do. And I want you, then I want you to pick out a, pas a passage of Scripture. If you're not doing the life steps, and we encourage you to do the life steps, we, we, we make them available to you every week. But you just find you a passage of Scripture, maybe start over in 1 John. Or you can start in the Gospel of John. Start in the Gospel of Luke. The Luke is a great thing to read from beginning to end. And then, here it comes. Listen, 15 minutes. I want you to sit in that chair, in that vista, in that place with this Bible, journal, pen. And for 15 minutes, I want you to read the Bible. And some of you go, man, that's a long time. It is. Uh, some of you going to go, six minutes? My gosh, I can't believe it. Six minutes, you just keep reading. After a while, it become a habit, and 15 minutes will go just like that. I mean, boom, it'll go just like that. And um, then you get finished 15 minutes, you find something maybe kind of applies to you for the day, then I want you to write down a little note. Just write down one thing out of what you read that you can apply in your journal or write it down in your Bible. Just one thing uh, that you took from that text and, and that chair time. Now, why am I asking you to do this? 
Weekend messages are very important. Every weekend, every Sunday, every you need, you need, we need, I need, we all need a message from God, from someone who spent time away thinking, praying, writing, just listening for God. We all need that. But equally important is the message that God wants to speak to you directly every single day. Every day, every day, God wants to speak to you. I have people tell me, Pastor, I just can't hear, I just can't hear God speak. I'm not, God's not talking to me. God primarily wants to speak to you through this book. But you got to be in the book. And it's amazing, it's uncanny how this works, that when you're in this book, how God will speak to you. I mean, he'll say, stop doing this. Hey, start doing that. He'll encourage you with a little something here. All of a sudden, an idea, a thought, a vision will come. Boom. Just out of that, it will do it. Hey, this morning, uh, I found myself over in Romans chapter 8. Uh, last summer, uh, after uh, my daughter-in-law, uh, Corinne's brother, Clinton, died, and again, after Ryan Avera uh, in the fall died, and after uh, little Raven, uh, our church member, died, uh, in January, I uh, read Romans chapter 8 for six weeks. Every morning, I would get up, and I would just read the whole chapter uh, for six weeks. Uh, this morning, I woke up, and my first thoughts were about uh, Vincent and Evie Lean, uh, the couple I mentioned earlier. Uh, this, this is a picture of them. Uh, Vincent Lean was a soldier, a soldier servant in this church. Uh, while you were at home on Saturdays doing your thing, he and Evie, they would show up here during the week and uh, during, on Saturdays to get everything ready for Saturday night and Sunday morning worship. And then on Sunday morning, they were here. If you ever had a cup of coffee in this place, if you ever had a funeral for a loved one in your family, uh, I promise you, this man and this woman, uh, they were here behind the scenes. Never saying a word, Harley, just serving, uh, just preparing to take care, for, take care of you. So I woke up this morning again thinking about another death, someone we love, and I found myself just reading Romans 8 after I did the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, and I got to verse 1. I mean, it's right off the bat. It says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. There's no condemnation. Uh, don't let anybody else condemn you. Don't let anybody else judge you. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation at all. I read through the thing. I stopped again at that infamous verse at verse 28. And we know that in all things, uh, even COVID-19, uh, even when you can't have access to people that you love when they're in the hospital, even when you can't get to your work, even when your income has been depleted, we know that in all things, all things, God works for the good even when someone you love so deeply was snatched out of your hand by the perils of this life. That all things, God works for the good uh, for those who love him. Then I kept on reading that here. It says, if God is for us, who could be against us? I read again, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Uh, that, that's important for me right now. Uh, sorry to get personal and kind of Feel my emotions creeping up because uh, I, I feel separated from you. I mean, here we are in worship in this building where we're together, we're off, we're together every weekend. We were, and, and now we come here and we have the worship team and all the sound and audio people, and there's about eight or, eight, eight or nine folks here. And, but we feel a sense of separation from you. 
But look what the scripture says. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution, shall famine, shall nakedness, shall danger, shall sword? Shall COVID-19, can it separate us from the love of God? And it goes on in Romans 8, no, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I will tell you, church, after I read that this morning in my chair time, it wasn't on my radar. I just, I got to read Romans 8 this morning. I felt compelled to do it. I was ready to go because God had a personal word for me in this text. I just got to tell you. Your chair time is so critical and so important. Uh, before COVID-19, um, my little granddaughter Linda spent the night with us on a Saturday night. And that's kind of hard on us uh, when I have worship on Sunday morning, especially at 8.15 worship, first thing out of the box. And I get up already have my quiet time. And wouldn't you know it, she kind of wakes up, rubs her eyes, and comes and climbs up in my lap at 5.30 in the morning while I'm having my quiet time. And I still got my Bible there. I'm holding her. And I have my little journal there. And uh, I'm kind of wrapping up, and she kind of startled, and she looks down, and she says, what you doing, Papa? And I said, I'm reading my Bible. And she said, Papa, your Bible's messy. <laughs> I was in a page that had markings and writings and notations and, you know, people I was praying for and people I loved all over. And uh, you know what I told her? I said, Lennox, uh, one day I want you to get a Bible, and I want you to mess it up. I want you to mess it up with all the markings and all the writings and all the notes of the things that God is saying to you. Because when you do that, it's a sign that God is messing up your heart. And he's touching you with his power and his hope and his healing and his grace. I just, I, I just want you to get a Bible and I, I want you to mess it up. Even if God messes up your heart in church family, that is what I'm praying and I'm wanting for you. That you will get the discipline of your chair time and being in this book every single day. I know your world is turned upside down, but so many good things can come out of it. And the number one good thing, if you're going to take a step in your growth and God is going to use this right now in your life, it's not just all the family time, that's great. It's not slowing the pace down, all that is great. But time to be in this book in a chair that you love with the vista, with your journal, 15 minutes. And see what God does. So, it's time for me to call you to a decision on this. And this is what leaders do. Leaders call people to decision. So I'm calling you to decision. And I can't see you in these chairs, but I'm going to trust right there in the room that you're really zeroed in paying attention. And if you're someone for the very first time that needs to make a commitment to say, I commit to 15 minutes every day to be in a chair with this book open. For God to speak to me, I just want you to put right there, first time, just make right there in your notes, in the comments, say first time, and make that commitment before God right there before everybody else in worship. It's kind of like raising your hand. And if you've gotten careless, and you've gotten negligent, and you've gotten a little lazy on this little thing right here, in these uncertain times, you kind of lost the structure and the discipline, I just want you to say, recommit. I recommit to that, okay? Recommit. So... That's all I got from my Papa exhortation. And now, uh, the final thing, it's kind of my, my papal kind of pastor declaration about this text, right? So I want to invite you to stand in your home. Okay, right there in your home. I want you to stand. Yep, I want you to stand. Kind of circle up as a family if you want to do that. We're going to close in prayer. Uh, but if you can stand, I want to invite you to stand. Because you got to stand for a papal declaration, right? I mean, whenever the Pope's going to say something, it's going to be, oh, 
that's going to be law. You know, I, I don't do that very often around here, but I'm about to. Okay, here it comes. After studying that chapter 9, all the scholars I could look at, after gazing through all the possibilities that could have happened in this text, what happened in the tent, after investigating, I've come to a conclusion that I want to share with you, and here it is. I don't have a clue. <laughs> I don't have a clue. In church, when you don't have a clue, you don't make stuff up. You don't speculate. You just skip it. You keep reading till you find something you understand. Read it. Ask a friend to help you. Ask a friend. Connect with somebody to ask you. Go study the scholars, what they have to say. You still can't figure it out. You just say, you know what, God, when I get to heaven, I'll ask you. Because right now, I don't have a clue. I want to pray with you. I know there are some of you been in this book, and you just start reading, you get frustrated, and you just stop, and you just give up. You just give up. I just wanted to encourage you to stop for a second. Be in the presence of God with your family. I want the parents, grandparents, we have kids and grandkids around you. I want you to get a picture of what you want for their life. What do you want God to do for them in their minds and in their hearts? I want to ask you, do your kids and grandkids see you in this book? seeking God's direction, peace, and comfort for your life in these uncharted waters. God, we just want to be in your presence because we know when you're in your presence, there's peace. When you're, we're in your presence, there's a sense of calm. When we're in your presence and your word is being taught and your word is being spoken, there's hope. There's a rainbow. There's a promise that we can cling and hang on to. So God, uh, we ask you to speak. Speak in the storm. Speak in these uncharted words. Uh, speak through your word. Uh, speak through the music. Speak through family and friends. Speak, Lord Jesus, speak. And help us to trust that you've got this. You've got this. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, before you go, I've got to say something to you. We're having communion next weekend. Uh, next weekend is the last weekend of Uncharted Waters. So I want you to prepare to have the elements of whatever you need in your household for communion. And uh, be kind of like what we did on that uh, Holy Thursday before Easter. And we're going to wrap this uncharted water thing up. And then we're going to have Mother's Day and then something beyond that, okay? So, hey, I'm praying for you. Please pray for me and my family. And uh, keep up the good work. We love you.
See you, church family. Bye.